<laughs> so, um, here we are looking at the Great Tribulation now, and we ask ourselves, how bad can things get on earth? How bad can life get? And actually, another good question of that is how evil and powerful can a single man become? And the world is going to find out. There's going to be one, he's spoken of a lot in the scripture, the, he has many names, many titles, beast, uh, man of lawlessness, man of sin, uh, little horn. That's not too intimidating until I, I was suppose if you ran into this man, you'd be pretty intimidated. Um, and the prophet Daniel longed to know the program of God in terms of bringing the nation of Israel to its glory. And Daniel knew about this. You know, Daniel is a later prophet and he was very well versed in all the other prophets and understood that, that God had a program for Israel, the nation of Israel, that was glorious. And he longed to know what that was. And God sent the angel Gabriel to show him some of that. Daniel longed to see it, but he wouldn't see it in his lifetime. And as much has happened since Daniel wrote it down or heard it, uh, it hasn't happened yet either. And we're looking for the same thing that Daniel was. Uh, we know more than Daniel ever did, but we're still waiting for it, which is the city of God. Before the city of God comes, God is going to deal with his nation Israel and the other nations, the Gentile nations, in a, let's say, spectacular way. And that, as God says, if the days weren't cut short, no one would have survived it. That's how bad. So how bad can things get? Pretty bad. Uh, so, let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah 30. Let's open up in prayer uh, and thank our Lord for His revelation of things yet to come and also uh, the fact that, as we've seen in our last class, that the church is not slated to go through this time so that we will not experience such incredible wrath that is going to come upon this earth. So let's be thankful and also uh, let's get ourselves ready to hear God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the prophecies that you have maintained and also uh, have fulfilled already. Uh, so many you have already fulfilled through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that shows us without a doubt that you're going to fulfill the ones that are to come. Uh, what you have fulfilled, you have done in a literal manner. You know, is What you've said is what has come to pass. What you promised has come to pass. And so, Father, we <clears throat> have great confidence in what is going to come in the future. We know, Father, that you have all things under control. That you are for our good and not for our evil. And so, Father, we can rest and have hope and great confidence in what the future holds for us. Uh, may your spirit reveal to us uh, to apply, each of us, apply what we're learning about what's going to happen in the future. Even though we're not going to go through it, there is great application to it, of it to us now. 
And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, first we're going to look at the, the purpose of the Great Tribulation, and then we're going to look at Daniel's 70 weeks that he prophesies in uh, Daniel chapter 9. <coughs> and uh, I was going to do a class on a different aspect of uh, or a different, per, uh, different principle uh, or, or theory of the tribulation. I decided not to because I don't think any of us agree with it. And then I thought, well, you know, why waste our time on it? <coughs> We've touched on it a little. But what I want to do is is sally forth into the, tri- the great tribulation because this is what is referenced by Paul in our passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The purpose of the Great Tribulation is to prepare Israel for her Messiah and his kingdom. Uh, And that is the main purpose of the Tribulation. It's not the only thing that happens in the Tribulation. There's a lot that goes on. But the main purpose of the Tribulation is for Israel, not for the church, and preparing her for her Messiah and his kingdom. So that's what I have here on the first slide. Look at Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for, the, for that day is great, there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved from it. Now, very terse, very short, but this is an obvious reference to the tribulation that it's going to be a time of Jacob's distress, right? Now, Jacob is a term for the name for Israel. It was Jacob's name would be changed to Israel after he wrestled with the Lord. And so referencing Jacob is not just the man, it's the nation. And so this is the time of Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble. But he will be saved from it, and that's the promise. Israel is not going to be annihilated. It has a future. Excuse me. So as we'll see from Scripture as we continue, the tribulation is primarily Jewish. The tribulation will bring about the conversion of a multitude of Jews, and those Jews with one voice will confess their sin. Now, it's going to be a particular sin that's in view, which is the issue, uh, which is the issue of they rejected their Messiah. So the, uh, the multitude of Jews are going to, with one voice, confess their sin. We would say that that, most confidently, is the sin of, ex- of rejecting the Messiah. And <clears throat> they're going to plead for the Messiah's return with one voice. So we've never seen this before. We're talking about not just one Jew or, say, a few who convert to Christianity through the gospel and and long for the return of the Lord. That's not what we're talking about. What we see in these passages is that a multitude of Jews with one voice are longing for the return of the Messiah. Not just any Messiah. Jesus Christ, uh, the the Lord. So look at go back to Jeremiah chapter 3. Look at verse 13. So notice what God says through the prophet to Israel. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to strangers under every green tree, which is a reference to idol worship. 
and you have not obeyed my voice, declare this to the Lord. So what does the Lord want them to do? Only acknowledge your iniquity. You can't go back and change the past, but you can confess it. And that's what the Lord requires of them. <coughs> On the board in Hosea 5.15, uh, the Lord says, I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. And they will. And this is promised in the, well, this is going to happen in the Great Tribulation. That those who have, and the ones who survive, right? These are those who survive. A lot of them don't. But um, they're going to flee to the wilderness. They're going to be protected by God. They're going to flee to the wilderness about halfway through the tribulation when this, this guy, this Antichrist, is going to change, he's going to change character. But I shouldn't say that. He's going to change the face of his character. And he's going to persecute Israel. Like they've never been persecuted before. Uh, <clears throat> and they're going to see this, right? So they're going to long for and seek for his face. So notice both are here in Hosea 5.15 that they're going to acknowledge their guilt, which is confess their sin. And that's going to be their guilt of rejecting Christ as Messiah, uh, rejecting Jesus as Messiah, and seek my face. In Zechariah 12.10, they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And this is a reference to the tribulation. And they're going to mourn over the one, notice, who they have pierced. And that is going to happen just prior to the return or at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go forward to Matthew 23, where we're going to see Jesus reference this same thing. Matthew 23, 37. This is as he's approaching the city. This is, this is actually the fulfillment of the 69th week, as we'll see in the prophecy of Daniel. As he, Jesus is entering Jerusalem on the back of the colt, this is his triumphal entry into the city. And uh, the people are you know, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, you know, it's, it's all hot air, really. Because you know, they, they don't understand. But anyway, look at verse 23:37. Jerusalem, the Lord says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Now this this word is Daniel's writing in actually Aramaic, but. You know, this is the same word. It's the same meaning, this word desolate. Uh, Daniel's going to talk about one who makes desolate. And so he says, behold your house. Now notice that. Your house is your, not just the temple, but the nation, the city. Your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say. Now notice it's say. They have to say it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which, ironically, on this day, they're 
they're saying this, you know, how blessed is the here comes the king of Israel, but they don't really mean it, not from their hearts. What they want from this man, they don't think he's the Messiah. Well, they they actually at this on this day, they don't really know who the Messiah is. So how could they possibly identify Jesus as the Messiah? But in the in the tribulation, after they go through what they what God is going to put them through, the nation of Israel is going to say this. Now, when they do, for those who have survived the tribulation and those who have been martyred in the tribulation, they will enter into the blessed kingdom, as will we, because we return with Christ at the second coming. They will enter into the blessings of the kingdom of God and experience the fullness or the fulfillment of all of Israel's covenants in the millennial reign, which is a literal thousand years literally on the earth. So the main purpose of the tribulation is for the nation of Israel. Now, it's not only that, because the second great purpose of the tribulation is to pour out judgment on unbelieving man and unbelieving nations. Uh, Go to Revelation 6. This is at uh, the sixth, when the sixth seal is broken. Um, Revelation 6, 15. Now, this is at, you know, at the start. Revelation 4 and 5 uh, are the scene in heaven where they're glorifying the Lord and and singing to him as what they're singing or speaking to him, actually. Uh, and, and saying how worthy he is. And chapter 6 starts the tribulation. Uh, this this book that is sealed, is the seals are broken. But notice like in verse 15, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And you, you could read on there, but I just wanted to reference it, that you know they're going to pray that the rocks fall on them and they die. They would rather die than live. That's how bad it is. And that's not just Israel. That is the world, the Gentile nations. So how bad can things get? Really bad. And they will. So, now go to Daniel 9. So to set us up for the tribulation, we just see there, you know, very quickly, we could turn to like a hundred verses to see the purpose of the tribulation, uh, both Old Testament and New, and especially in the book of Revelation, but also in the prophets. And But here we have a chronological prophecy that points us right to... Uh, you know, the the program of all of this for history and actually our place in it, which is, it's super exciting um, to see this. It's just so wonderful, a prophecy. <coughs> now, it's imperative that we interpret it literally. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, the mid-trib folks, the post-trib folks, the amillennialists, the uh, post-millennialists, um, they, uh, many of them, uh, and I think pretty much all of them, uh, interpret prophecy in a sort of spiritual, allegorical way. And, and that's so they can have it fit their system. And that's the issue that occurs here. 
which is something I try to completely avoid. And I think you would see that if you were listen to me at any length of time. You know that I I start with biblical data and go from there. I don't and 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 if I've been wrong on anything, I'm going to change that as as much of a punch in my pride that is, right? <laughs> because to all of us, it's a hit in the pride. But the data from the Bible is going to show us what's going to happen. If I have a if I have a notion, say preconceived, but it's really a pre-understanding, and I may have learned it from somebody else, that you know, if I'm going to twist the Bible to fit my notions, then that's exactly what I don't want to do. Uh, so, in, especially in this prophecy, I mean, there's some prophecies that you know, it, it, trans, interpreting them literally is difficult, and you know, and in actuality, interpreting prophecy that is yet to come is pretty much the most difficult of all interpretations. Uh, but anyway, so this has to be interpreted literally. In the prophecy, there are seventy sevens. Uh, please note, and in, in it says here uh, that there are 77s. Uh, it's going to you'll see in your Bible 70 weeks, but there's a different Hebrew word that speaks of weeks. Uh, this is actually 77s, and they're not going to be weeks of days. They're going to be weeks of years, and this is not just here. There is in Israel the <coughs> the Sabbath year. You know, in that seventh year where they set all the slaves free, this the seventh year is the Sabbath year. That's a week of years. Then there's the year of Jubilee, which is seven Sabbath years, 49 years. Where uh, you know, so it's in years. Now in years here, it's broken up into divisions. We have a seven, and then a 62, and then a one. So we have seven weeks and 62 weeks. Those go together to make 69. And then finally, there's one week, which is generally referred to as Daniel's 70th week. In the first two divisions, the 7 and the 62, there's no division. They're stated right next to each other. They blend right together and add up to 69 weeks. But there's a reason why there's two divisions, and we'll see that. What's exciting for us is the 69 weeks have already been fulfilled. There's only one more week to go, but there's a gap between week 69 and week 70. And we're in that gap. Uh, And of course, that's my interpretation, but it is the the most, uh, the bestest interpretation in my opinion. And for the most part, most people interpret it that way. Although, you know, it depends on what school that you're from. Uh, What's exciting about the fulfillment of the end of the 69 weeks is when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on the back of the cult, which is fulfilling prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Your king comes to you humble and mounted on the cult, even the cult of a donkey. Now, in this prophecy, the church is not mentioned at all. And just like it is not mentioned in Revelation 6 through 18. You don't see the church at all in Revelation 6 through 18. And that kind of makes sense because Revelation 6 through 18 is an expansion of Daniel's 70th week. And we'll see that coming up. Uh, The 70 weeks of Daniel further reveal the distinction in history between Israel and the church because this is towards Israel. And wonderfully, this prophecy gives us a divine chronology. The greater portion of the book of Revelation is an expansion of it, like I said. Now, to get the context of it, 
we have Daniel's curiosity. In chapter 9, verse 1, Daniel is curious about the prophecy of Jeremiah. Daniel's in captivity in Babylon. And he reads in the prophecy of Jeremiah, which copy he has, obviously, if he's reading it, that uh, Jeremiah, God said through the prophet Jeremiah that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years. And those 70 years, we'll see coming up, is 70 Sabbaths, Sabbath years, where every seven years you were supposed to rest the land, and Israel didn't do it. And so God said, you know what, I'm going to rest the land for you. In other words, you're not going to be here. So I'm going to take my 70 Sabbaths, okay? So for 70 years, right, Israel is in captivity. Uh, look at Daniel 9.1. In the first year of Darius the king, sorry, the son of uh, Ahasuerus. Oh, shoot. I didn't practice that name. Uh, I know Darius. Uh, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the book, in the books, the numbers, number of years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And this is a really, a day, in, we don't know how many days, but it looks like it's days and days of prayer in which Daniel is not eating, He's sitting in ashes and sackcloth, and he's, he's entreating the Lord for what? And what we find out in the context is he wants to know, when is Israel going to be restored? And not just restored, but, you know, what he's really looking for is the millennial reign of Christ. As the prophets have revealed that Israel is going to be uh, incredibly blessed through the fulfillment of the Abrahamic, Davidic, Palestinian, and New Covenant <clears throat> that Daniel has read, the New Covenants in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, that, you know, he's looking for this. And after some time of intense prayer, go down to verse 17, he says, So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. For your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. These are important terms. The desolate sanctuary is the temple. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. So Jerusalem is desolate as well. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits on our own, but on account of your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, give. Oh Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. And Daniel will say that he confesses not only his own sins, but he confesses the sins of Israel. Right? And we would conclude that Daniel knows that the Lord isn't going to return until they acknowledge their guilt. And actually, we find Daniel in this chapter acknowledging the guilt of all of Israel, as well as his own. So, God sends Gabriel, and Gabriel reveals to Daniel what he wants to know. And uh, it's amazing, actually, this. 
The angel comes and says, well, let's read it. Verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. Now remember, what does Daniel want to know? When is the nation going to be given the kingdom? When is it all going to be fulfilled? Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. To finish the transgression. Now here's the purpose. We're going to skip the purpose and go back to it. To finish the transgression, to make the end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. There's six things there. And the first three deal with sin. Finish the transgression, make an end of sin, and make atonement for iniquity. Those three are taken care of by Christ on the cross. But if they don't acknowledge Christ as Messiah, right? are they... Are they cleansed? Are they atoned for? If they've rejected Christ, if they've rejected the Messiah, as Israel will, coming up in the future, meaning from Daniel's point of view, um, then no. But these are going, when they say, we long for the Messiah, we have been guilty, Jesus is the Messiah, when they say that in the tribulation, well, guess what? The atonement of the Lord applies to every one of them who have had faith in the gospel. And the transgression will be completed. This is one application of this. Is there salvation? But actually, um, on top of that, is they're going to be instituted into the kingdom. But the final three are in the future. You know, These are going to happen when the Lord returns. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. That means to make an end of it. I mean, to fulfill it all. And at the second coming of Christ, it will be. And to anoint the most holy place. And the most holy place will be the temple. Not the temple in the tribulation. God doesn't want nothing to do with that. The the Antichrist is going to set up his image in that temple and claim to be God. That is not an anointed temple. This is the temple that is going to be in the millennial reign. All right? So we're going to return to that. So after we see what happens here with the 70 weeks, we'll go back to that and see how that all is going to you know, be fulfilled. And then in verse 25, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So see how the seven and the 62, they just go together. I always wondered when I ever first either heard this in Bible class or read it, why doesn't he just say 69 weeks? And so we'll see that. So uh, seven weeks and 62 weeks, it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah, well, that's plus the seven, so it's really after the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, that means his death, And have nothing, we'll explore what have nothing might mean. That's pretty exciting. And the people of the prince who is to come, that's not the Messiah, the prince, right? This is the people who are to come uh, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So there's a destruction. There's a rebuilding of the city and the sanctuary, and then there's a destruction of it. And it's certainly not the people of Jesus that are going to do it. This is somebody else. This is another prince. 
so that he's the prince who is to come. This uh, coming events, as you probably know already, that's the Antichrist. <clears throat> he's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. To the end, there will be war. There will always be war. And desolations are determined. Now remember, we just saw Jesus said, this city is going to be left to you, your house is going to be left to you desolate. And so we see here that desolations are determined. All right, so first and foremost, the entire prophecy has to do with Daniel's people and city. Verse 24. This has to do with Israel and Jerusalem. Right? This, we're not here dealing with the church. We're not talking about raptures or anything like that. We're talking about this is the program that is revealed to Daniel by Gabriel. It has to do with what Daniel wants to know, which is about Israel, about Israel's restoration. And not again, not just restoration, but the institution of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel on earth. All right, there are two princes, the Messiah in verse 25 and the prince to come in verse 26. These are not the same people. It becomes obvious that the prince to come is the same that Daniel has already talked about. He's the chief of the fourth empire, which is to come. Is that whole, if you, if, I don't know if you've ever learned it. I've learned it years ago. I'm relearning it now again. It's, it's almost like, learning it for the first time every time I go through it. But, um, you know, the statue that Daniel sees that he communicates and the king Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Uh, <clears throat> and that, that's where the prophecy of this guy comes up. He's the little horn in Daniel 7, 8. He's the insolent king in Daniel 8, 23. And in our passage in Second Thessalonians 2, he's the man of sin. He's the beast that comes out of the sea in Revelation 13. Throughout Scripture, he has about 30 titles. Right? And that should tell us something. Why would God spend time giving 30 titles to this one who is really the most evil man? Right? This is a man. This is a human being. Or at least we think he is. I'm pretty sure he is. Every time I do prophecy like this, I'm always like, do I know that right? There's like so much to it. It's crazy. But, uh, you know, this is really Satan's masterpiece. Why does God give him 30 titles? Don't even give him any titles, you know? There's a reason. One of the reasons is that he's a false messiah. He's going to try and show himself to be all the things that Christ is. And he's going to not just fail at it. He's going to be awful. He's going to make a treaty. As we'll see, he makes a treaty with Israel. And then he breaks the treaty. What kind of a Messiah breaks a promise? He does. You're going to see that he's a deceiver. What kind of a Messiah just tries to fool everybody? He's truly to the core evil. A murderer. Just like his... His uh, father, the devil. All right, Daniel 77's. The beginning is the commandment to restore Israel. Uh, in the scripture, there are several decrees to the rest- sorry that have to do with the restoration of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. But there's one of them 
There's several of them that have to deal with, yeah, you can go back and build the temple. But if you notice the language here, it's to restore the city. So he says again in verse 25, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And there's only one of those. And that is in Nehemiah chapter 2. The king in Persia, Antaxerxes, gives permission for Nehemiah to rebuild the city. And we know actually from historical, not from the Bible actually, but from historical research that that occurred in 445 B.C. And we actually kind of know the day as well. So in 445 B.C., this clock starts ticking. So 490 years from then, or is it 490 years? Because it's not actually if there's a gap in there, and we'll see that. All right, so next, the first seven weeks is the fourth. And now it's seven seven sevens. Okay, so seven times seven years, 49 years, is the time it will take to rebuild Jerusalem. And so that's why you have a seven and then a 62. And there's no gap. Again, if we read verse 25, uh, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes, there are seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again, meaning the temple, and it was. Uh, with uh, plaza and moat, sorry, not just the temple, Um, forgive me for that, it's Jerusalem, the city, with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Nehemiah, Anaxerxes sees him sad, and he's, what are you sad about? And he says, the city, Jerusalem, my home city is not rebuilt, I want to rebuild it. And Anaxerxes says, you may go and do so. That is 445 B.C. So we have the seven sevens and um, followed by the 62 sevens. And then in verse 26, signs are given. Okay, so you see that in verse 26, the two go together. And then in verse 26, it says, after the 62 weeks, which is also after the seven, Messiah will be cut off. That's a sign and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's another sign. So those things have to happen. And then, he says, comes the 70th week. So we have seven weeks, 62 weeks. There's no sign there. He just blends them together. But the seven for rebuilding the city, the 62 come immediately after. As we see, that takes us right to Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem. That 483 years takes it right there, which you know, a lot of people have worked out the math, but you know the, it, it's um, it varies a little from person to person, but it gets us right right around the spring of AD 32, and that Jesus the Messiah enters Jerusalem on that day, and he is proclaiming him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then. They, a few days later, crucify him, crucify him. And he's killed. Daniel says it here. Or God, Gabriel, says it to Daniel. He'll be cut off and have nothing. 
So from B.C. 445, the decree to rebuild the city, plus 483 years later, the Messiah presents himself to, is to Jerusalem as Messiah. He presents himself. And by all intents and purposes, this puts Jesus entering Jerusalem on the cult in A.D. 32 on April 6th. That's one of my favorite uh, calculations that are done on this. Of all the literal prophecies, this has to be chief. This is to the day when Jesus enters the city. Now two signs are given. To cut off means to be killed. To have nothing may mean... Now, cut off, we're pretty sure it means to be killed. We're not exactly sure. You know, have nothing is, is a pretty vague statement. You say that Jesus was hanging on the cross naked. He owned nothing. They even took his seamless cloak and, and divided it up. Well, they didn't divide that up. Somebody won it by lots, right? He had nothing. But in re- what didn't he also have on the cross? Think of this. In terms of he, may, he had nothing. As he's forsaken by his Father. Of all things, the Lord counted as valuable to him. It was his relationship with the Father. He even said to them, just hours before he went to the cross, he said, you're all going to desert me, but know that I'm not alone because I might have my Father. And I say, for me, that's the experience of life that I want. And I think every Christian should be longing for it. Does it matter what we really have? When we have the Father. And every Christian has the Father. But not every Christian actually sees the value of that. I, I haven't. I, I, I can freely admit that. I haven't for most of my Christian life. But it is the thing. I mean, what is eternity? How much stuff are you bringing with you? But eternity in essence is living in the presence of the Lord face to face. That's what it is. And people, I, I've heard people say, and I've said this before, but I always, always think of the person I had a conversation with who said, well, I don't know what we're going to do there. It sounds kind of boring. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I haven't thought about that. For all of eternity, yeah. I mean, how many times can you fly to a planet or, I don't know, what do you do? Hit a hole in one on Jesus' golf course. I do it every shot. You know, I'm kind of tired of it. What do I do now? Fly to Jupiter again? I'm sick of it. But what is truly what heaven is? The presence of the Lord. His majesty, His love, His peace, His joy. Every Christian is required by command, to experience it now before we get there. And how many... We're playing games with substances, with drugs, alcohol, sex. uh, You know, those are the main addictions and then all the other addictions that we're playing around with, hoping to fulfill. And it's meaningless, that stuff. Money, power, recognition, Position. 
being admired, having things, getting another new thing. And I love it when the Amazon guy runs up the stairs of my house. It's, you know, I see Chris's name on it, and I'm like, ah, here, take it. I don't want that. You open it. And generally, I just order a book. But I was so excited. My backpack, uh, the cat peed on my backpack. <laughs> I say that publicly. We have two cats. One of them likes to pee on all kinds of stuff. I can't stand it. But my wife loves the cat, and I love her. So, ergo, that is what? Uh, by, by process of whatever. Cumulative property, whatever that is, some mathematical property. But anyway, he peed on my backpack, and I'm like, ooh, I could buy a new backpack, right? I, I love buying stuff, stuff that I use. I, you know, I don't care about most things, but anyway, put the backpack in the wash, and it doesn't smell like cat pee anymore. I was very disappointed, very. I bought a new backpack anyway. Not on church money, in case you're wondering. I bought it myself with all my millions. So, um, cut off means to be killed. What does have nothing mean? Getting back to this. It doesn't matter what you have. You know, this message would mean to somebody who has absolutely nothing. Those poor people in India or anywhere in our, anywhere in the world. That he gave himself up for you. So, um, what he's killed, not at the end of the 69 weeks, right? Because the end of the 69 weeks is his triumphal entry. He's killed a few days after that. The destruction of the city, when does that happen? It happened in 70 A.D. Uh, first, the, the, the siege is a war that lasted uh, three years. Almost four years between Rome and, and uh, Israel, or really Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, the city is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Uh, that didn't happen on the day of his entry. So what are we, why is that important? It's because at the end of the 69 weeks, the signs that are given here, which is the death of the Messiah and the destruction of the city, they don't happen right then. There's a period of time. There's a delay. And there's a lot of people who want to think that the 70th week comes right after the 69th and that there's no gap. And if there's no gap, that means that the tribulation has to have already happened. Right? And that's the, that's the issue. For those who don't want to believe in a rapture, and there's many reasons why they don't want to, is they have to make the tribulation have already happened in history. So they make Nero the Antichrist and... And there's all kinds of things. And there's similarities between Nero and the description of the Antichrist. Of course there is. There's similarities between Stalin and the Antichrist, you know, or Hitler. But he's not, neither of them are, are him. Similarities doesn't mean that they fit the bill. And they don't. So, there is a gap of indeterminate time between week 69 and week 70. The 70th week is the Great Tribulation. Now, a lot of people like to figure out uh, who the Antichrist is, or at least where he's from. I think this happens in every generation of believers who get really, you know, know this stuff and, and are curious about it. Um, 
<coughs> and uh, <laughs> I find it funny. They usually pick the person they hate the most, which is some politician, and they say that, that he's the Antichrist. Uh, but all we, we know, it says here that the people of the prince destroy the city, and those are the Romans. Does that mean that the prince is Roman? Eh, maybe. I don't know. I, I wouldn't make that leap. So the, the most that I would commit to is that the prince, uh, the prince to come is a Gentile. How's that for commitment? <laughs> now, uh, notice, too, in verse the end of verse 26, at the end there'll be war, or until the end, even until the end there'll be war. And in this area, right, there's war since 70 A.D., there's been war everywhere, all over the earth. It hasn't stopped. You know, it's in fits and starts in certain places, but there's always been war somewhere. But think about the place where this is. This is the Middle East. Right? The Middle East has become so war-torn uh, and continues to be that the phrase peace in the Middle East is equated with when pigs fly, Right? Like, you're never going to see it. Who's going to create peace in the Middle East? Nobody. All right. So, moving on quickly. The 70th week begins with the signing of a seven-year covenant with Israel. And that's when it begins, per this prophecy. So, look at verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant. This is the prince. The he is the prince to come. The one who destroys the city and, and the temple. He, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And what we can gather from that is that, and we know from other prophecy that Christ spoke of, that he's going to put his image in the temple. And we see it in the book of Revelation as well. That this, this one... Halfway through the tribulation, just as it says here, the tribulation seven, so halfway is three and a half years, um, that he's going to put his image in the Holy of Holies and he's going to demand worship. And there's going to be his false prophet that is going to demand that everybody worship the beast. And the, the image is going to speak and all of that. And it's in the temple. So uh, he puts a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering, and that would mean that his treaty with Israel is, is broken halfway through. And on the wing of abominations, a lot of commentators think that means his idolatry, um, will, come, uh, will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. There's that word desolate again. Until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So it's either poured out on Israel who are he's trying to make desolate, or it references him who is trying to make desolate. He's the desolator or the desolated. Either one works. Um, so halfway through, we see that he changes tune. And this, this is significant for us because we worship our true Messiah, who every promise he makes, he holds. In Christ, everything is yes and amen. But what we have here is we have this character, this antichrist, this man of lawlessness who makes a treaty with Israel. Now imagine this. 
He makes a treaty with Israel. What does he do? He restores the nation of Israel to their land. He restores the temple. Now, we don't know if it was the temple built already before he comes on the scene or not, but at least he has made a treaty with Israel. He's a friend of Israel. And he's a world ruler. And what this means is, is that he's very pro-Semitic on the surface. And it makes me wonder, does this one convince many Jews at this time that he's the Messiah? And then my next thought after that, because we're, if we're raptured, not if we're raptured, we're raptured before this. So what happened to all the people who disappeared? What happened to all the people that were caught up in the, with the Lord in the air? And I, it makes me wonder if this Antichrist is going to say, I got rid of him. I, this is all conjecture, but I, you know, I'm having a little fun with it. Uh, what if he says, I got rid of him? He does signs and wonders. He does. He has the power of miracles. Satan gives him the power of miracles. What if he says, you know, I got rid of all of those people who said that you had to believe in Jesus to be saved. Right? We're gone. He said, I got rid of all those Christians who said there was only one way of salvation. It was Jesus. They kept saying that Jesus was the Messiah. But you know what? Did they ever give you your land back? Hmm? Did they build your temple? Hmm? Did they restore your sacrifices? Your law of Moses, did they restore that? I did. And he's going to be a friend to Israel for three and a half years. And then for whatever reason, probably just because he's flat out evil, and he hates them, he switches. He breaks the treaty. And this is where Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, his image put in the temple, don't go down to your house and pack a bag. Don't run back home wherever you're at. Flee to the wilderness. Just go. And God forbid, he doesn't say God forbid. (laughs) Jesus wouldn't say that because he's God. Um, He says, pray that it doesn't happen on a Sabbath. Pray that you're not pregnant because it's going to be hard to move. You've got to go fast and get out of there. And the promise is that God will protect them. It says that the Antichrist is going to be scouring the earth looking for them. And they're going to be out there somewhere, but God keeps them hidden. It's amazing. You know, uh, you think, why would God allow all this to happen? So many Jews are going to be saved through this. And they're going to fulfill what he wants them to do. They're going to confess their sin of rejecting the Messiah. And they're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and mean it. They're going to seek him. When he comes, they're going to long for him and mourn over him, as Zechariah said. Okay, so, application to us. You want to read it with me? You can skip back to Mark 13. Application to us. Uh, next time we'll we'll pursue this a little farther uh, and see, you know, what this tribulation is a little more 
more detail. You know, part of me wants to do a bunch of detail, and part of me wonders if I should. Uh, you know, because uh, it's exciting, and it, it's you know, it, it's a part of God's word, so we need to all learn it. I know some people are super into pro- this kind of prophecy, eschatology, and some people are not, and uh, that's not my call. <laughs> Uh, what we'll see next time is that there's six there's six things that show us the actual reason for this as is as in verse 24 uh, to finish the transgression. You know, there's there's a there's God has unfinished business with Israel and He's going to finish it. All right, and that shows you that God has a plan for the nation of Israel that is literal, real. There's too, it's too many. I, I, as I read or, or even see it or, or hear, I should say hear, um, pretty much everybody at Corbin University from I've met in the theology department or the ministry department are dispensational. And, and generally that means that, you know, you understand that the church and Israel in history are, are separate entities and, and that God has a plan for Israel, God has a plan for the church, in eternity, there's not going to be a separation of us, but for time that there is. There's a program for Israel that God is going to literally fulfill because he promised it. And uh, But there's Reformed theologians uh, and Covenant theologians don't believe that. So there's an ultimate of evil that is to come. There's evil in this world. It's in people. This Antichrist is a person. He's of the people who destroy the city. He's a person. Now, he's endowed with powers and all of that, but um, yeah, there's, an, there's an ultimate evil brewing in this world. Now, what, I, what jazzes me as well, and it makes me wonder, is um, Satan doesn't know when this time's coming. It's not like he knows. Right? This this is all this gap between week sixty nine and week seventy, nobody knows but God. Even Jesus said, I don't even know when I'm coming back. Right? The Father knows. Satan doesn't know. And it makes me wonder, is every generation is he preparing somebody? Because what he knows these prophecies, he knows he's gonna have a shot at putting a man as king of the world. He's gonna get a shot at it. Whatever, I don't know what he thinks he's going to do with that shot because the rest of the story is right here for him to read. Uh, you know, some people think that Satan honestly believes that he can beat God in this conflict, and I think that's ridiculous. I, I think Satan even knows that he can't win, but what do I know? <laughs> I don't really care what he thinks, honestly. But there is great evil in this world. And I think for the most part, we're protected from it. As we'll see in our passage, that this man of lawlessness is not going to be revealed until God allows him to be revealed. There's a restrainer in this world. Most of us think it's the Holy Spirit. It also could be a reference to the church or both. But God is restraining. And there's going to come a time where he's going to lift his restraint and then this man can be revealed and gain his power. That evil and that hatred of all things good is brewing in our world. 
and always has been. It's embodied ultimately in the Antichrist. And, and further application, this should make us more cautious when we're tempted with sin. Because that's what this man's name is. He's the man of sin. Right? So we think, well, sin's not all that bad. That characterizes this person. Right? As, as much as there are sins that I like, I, is, I, I'm not saying anything you don't know. Because <laughs> we're all in the same boat. There are particular sins that I like that tempt me more than others, way more than others. But, you know, the further I, we learn, we learn about, especially something like this, this man, this evil man, ultimately that's all he wants is sin. It should make us more cautious when tempted with sin and worldliness. And remember, the time is short. Look at Mark 13:33. Take heed beyond the alert for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house, putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your grace. Thank you for... Such wonderful prophecies that we see fulfilled, which gives us such confidence in your control of all things history, all things human, all things earth. It is your will that will be done. We long for your kingdom. Press upon our hearts the, the, um, the resistance of the temptations that come upon us that are in, in line of sinfulness, which all temptations are, and that also give us the confidence to know that you have great and glorious things in store for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.